Hello, and welcome back. I too want to say welcome back. Uh, thanks for coming today. And on this very cold day in the winter, thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm Deb Haygood, and I love being with you. What a great way to start the new year, coming together to Women in the Word and studying God's Word. What a great way to start. I also want to welcome West Campus. We're so glad that you are going to be back with us this semester, so welcome to you as well. Uh, I am part of the Women in the Word teaching team, along with Lynn Kitchens, Shelley Davis, Vanita Jones, Misty Denman, and Amy Foster. And this semester we are studying the book of Acts, and it is so exciting, so very exciting. And it's my prayer that as we study, the excitement will be contagious. And at the end of this study, we will leave with greater zeal as witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ. Such excitement ahead. Today, we're going to um, get an overview of the book of Acts, and we're also going to study, look at the first chapter of Acts, and we're going to spend a good deal of time um, on the instructions that Jesus gave the disciples. Um, The teaching team, we've been sitting hard over the um, holiday season, and I've been praying for you. I was praying that um, each of the women and women in the Word would um, feel a special measure of joy this Christmas season. I know that Christmas is a very happy time and glad time for many people, but it also can be a hard time for some as well. As a nurse, I've worked many Christmas days, but this year um, I didn't work. I was with my husband and all my children and all my grandchildren, and it was a really beautiful and very happy Christmas. We went to Arkansas. We stayed at my mom's cabin. It was great fun. She wasn't there. It was just the ten of us. And uh, one of the memorable things that happened while we were there, uh, we did the Christmas drama. Now, you've heard me talk about our little Christmas drama. I read Luke 2 and the story of Jesus' birth and the... Um, little kids acted out with some of the adults and this year we did it twice we did it once on Christmas Eve because we didn't have a Christmas Eve service to go to and then we did it again on Christmas morning and um, this was good because it let Hallie and Finley both be merry that's important And then the second time on Christmas morning, a very special thing happened, and that was my grandson Dylan asked if he could read, be the narrator, read Luke 2 for the Christmas drama. Now, let me give you um, a little background here. I have always read the Luke 2 story. I'm always the narrator. And now we've been doing this play for probably over 30 years since my kids were little. And then my sister's kids came along and they did it. And then we've got grandkids and they've been doing it. I always read the Christmas story. And even before that, I was the firstborn of four children. I always read the Christmas story growing up. I've always read Luke 2. And so Dylan said, Granny, can I do it? And I said, sure. I'm glad. And then I thought, who do I get to be in the drama? And I was a shepherd. So I put on the headgear, and I had my grandfather's cane. It was a staff, and I had the little beanie baby lamb, and I was the shepherd. So it was all good. It was a great, great time. 
But then it was time to leave, and so we cleaned the cabin, and everybody packed up, and the kids left first, and that was by design, because Scott and I wanted to be the last to leave, because my mom has a list of last instructions that you have to do as you leave the cabin. It's a little piece of paper written on the front and the back, and I wanted to be the one that went through these last instructions and checked them off and made sure it was all done, because my mom will check up on me. She likes to know that everything on the instructions list was carried out. So I went through it and it's things like turn the water off to the toilets and turn the thermostat to such and such in the summer and turn it to this in the winter and uh, turn the little thing down in the freezer so the ice maker doesn't keep making ice. So little things like that. So I went through the list and I'm checking them off and I thought to myself because I'd been studying for this lesson This is a little bit like the last instructions Jesus gave the disciples. He wants them to follow these instructions very carefully. And they were even more important than my mom's last checklist. So we're going to be looking at those last instructions today. And the good thing is they have meaning and application for us as well. So let's turn to the book of Acts um, chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me say that the full title of Acts is Acts of the Apostles. Now, the word apostle means one sent with a special message or commission. The 12 disciples are now called apostles. They're called the apostles. And that's because they were disciples following Jesus, learning from Jesus. He was teaching them, um, living with them. But now he has given them a special task. Now they're going to be commissioned to take the special message, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now they're called apostles. We're also going to see other men in Acts um, who are commissioned to teach, called apostles too. Uh, Sort of more with a little a. Barnabas is called an apostle. And a very big example is Paul is also an uh, apostle. So let's begin reading verse 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus. Okay, stop right there. So we see with this opening that the book of Acts is a continuation of a first book. It's volume two. Acts is the second part of a two-part series. So what is that first book? And you looked at that in your small groups. We know that Theophilus gives us a big clue. Theophilus is a name. Don't know who he was. Maybe a Roman um, official, new believer. And this is who... um, Luke is writing to, and we see on your verse sheet, I've got Luke 1-3, and it reads, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So the name Theophilus gives us a big clue, and we realize the book of Luke is part one of this two-part series. And it's widely accepted that Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke, as well as the second volume, um, the book of Acts. In your small groups this morning, you looked up some verses on Luke, and we found out that he was a physician, probably Paul's physician, because we learned also that he was a very close friend of Paul. He was beloved by Paul. He was a companion of Paul. We're going to see in Acts that he even travels with Paul. Uh, We also uh, know that he is a Gentile believer, and that church history tells us he was from Syrian Antioch. 
Luke was also an historian, and because he was a physician, he had an eye for detail. He researches thoroughly. He talked to eyewitnesses of the accounts. And um, we see in the book of Acts that he actually is an eyewitness of much of what he's going to say in the book of Acts. So, since um, Luke is the first book, I wanted us to take a little review. So, if you'll just turn back, put a little marker right there in Acts, and turn uh, back to Luke chapter 24, the last chapter in the book of Luke. And we're going to just kind of review quickly some of the things that, um, and I'm going to call him Dr. Luke as the author to distinguish, that Dr. Luke kind of closes out his book of Luke with. Four big events happen, and the first one um, is the resurrection of Jesus. And let me just read verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And then we know as we read on that there were two men, they were angels. And in verse 6, they tell the women... These were the women. We see their names listed in verse 10. But these two angels tell the women, um, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. He has risen. And they remember these things and they run back with joy and excitement to tell the disciples what has happened. And then we see the second event. And that's the appearance of Jesus to people. And uh, Dr. Luke tells us about the two men, or maybe it was a man and a wife, on the road to Emmaus. They were believers leaving Jerusalem. And Jesus walks beside them. And they don't recognize Jesus until they get to Emmaus and he sits down and eats with them eats with them, and then they're excited. Jesus is alive, and they run all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And when they get there, they find that they're all excited because Peter has seen the risen Lord, and he's told them about it. And in verse 36, we read this. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Jesus appeared to many people over this time, but... Dr. Luke goes on to give us the next event, which is Jesus teaching the disciples. And we read that in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, I love that part. He tells them that everything in the Old Testament about himself must be fulfilled. That tells us that Jesus is in the Old Testament. And that's why when you come to Women in the Word and we're studying the Old Testament, we are always looking for Jesus. We just finished last semester, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and we saw Jesus in that. We saw Jesus in chapter 1 when it talked about God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit created the universe. Jesus is in the Old Testament, and all those things about him must be fulfilled. And it says he opened their minds. Isn't that a wonderful thing? To open, this, to understand the scriptures. And so he goes on to tell them this. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Jesus tells them here that um, he is going to send them that promise that the Father made, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come, and they would uh, be filled with power, and they would be his witnesses. They were to go out and tell others everywhere the good news about Jesus. And then chapter 24 uh, ends with these last three verses, 50 through 53, and this is Jesus ascending into heaven, going into heaven. And we see here that the disciples worship him, and they are filled with joy. And this kind of closes out, Dr. Luke closes out um, the book of uh, Luke in this way. So let's turn back now to Acts 1, and we're going to see in this introduction how he um, goes over some of these things that we've just read about in Luke 24. I sort of think of this a little bit like the TV shows that we watch that continue on. Some of you may be watching Downton Abbey, and um, it's just started again for the new season. It's a story about a family in England. And at the beginning of it, it always has those clips of what's happened in the past. I actually went back in December and watched some of the old shows to kind of remind myself, just like we went back to chapter 24 of Luke to remind ourselves. But um, we're going to see some of those little clips in this introduction by Dr. Luke in the book of Acts. So let's begin reading and see some of that in uh, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we see here in this first clip, this little review, he's telling Theophilus that the book of Luke, his first book, was all about the story of Jesus, what he um, did and what he taught. It's his deeds and his words, clear up until the time that he ascended. And before he ascended, it says here, he gave last instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And this is very important. Luke wants us to know, Dr. Luke wants us to know that the apostles were chosen by Jesus. He's pointing out, he wants us to see clearly, they are important. They have authority. These are the men chosen by Jesus. And also, make a note here, we see the Holy Spirit in verse 2. This is the first time out of more than 70 times the Holy Spirit will be mentioned in the book of Acts. Over 70 times we are going to see the Holy Spirit mentioned in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is very and very important to the book of Acts. In fact, he is essential. And we are going to learn much about the Holy Spirit this semester. Next, Dr. Luke um, reminds Theophilus in in verse 3 that Jesus suffered and died and then resurrected. He was resurrected. He appeared to the disciples not just once but many times over the 40 days. And he talked to them face to face. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. So we know that these... um, Clips are accurate because we just read all this in Luke 24. And this is what happened. Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the whole scriptures. And he gives us a little extra detail here because he tells us over 40 days. 
So now we know that from the time Jesus was resurrected until his ascension was 40 days. 40 days passed. We haven't seen that before. Dr. Luke, in his introduction, is emphasizing two foundational truths for the book of Acts. And the first one here is the, um, he's establishing the very important truth, the indisputable fact that Christ resurrected. The resurrection is indisputable fact. Jesus resurrected from the grave. Jesus is alive. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of the apostles' faith. And it's going to be a main ingredient in their message that we see in the book of Acts. And it's a foundational truth for our faith today. Jesus resurrected. It's true. He is alive. And the second emphasis Luke makes is um, the very necessary presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that um, more as we go on. But those are the two truths. The resurrection is true and the presence of the Holy Spirit is indispensable in the book of Acts. So let's go on and um, now look at those last instructions that Jesus gave the, um, the disciples. And these last instructions in the ascension is going to close out in verse 12, this introduction part of Acts. So let's read verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we see the very first thing he tells them is, um, do not leave Jerusalem. Do not depart from Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and stay there. And uh, this was very important. Something big was going to happen in Jerusalem, and Jesus didn't want them to miss it. It's important um, for them to do exactly what Jesus said. And we're going to find that they do. They obey Jesus' instructions. And it's important for us to obey the word of God. We've talked about that a lot last semester. Um, That's one reason we're studying God's word, to find out what is it that we need to obey. What are the things we are to do or maybe not do? The next instruction we see is wait for the promised Holy Spirit. This is a gift that the Father's sending. Wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had already told them that he, the Holy Spirit was going to be sent to them. We read that it's in several places, but on your verse sheet, John 14, we read Jesus saying this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And Jesus mentions John the Baptist there in Acts. And so let's read Luke 3.16, where John the Baptist answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. 
To baptize means to dip or to immerse, and it has the idea of being united with something. John the Baptist, um, his baptism was a sign of repentance. The Jews were coming to him, and they were had, their sin was of waywardness towards God, turning away from God, and now they were turning back to God in repentance, and they were determined to live for God. And so a sign of their repentance was the baptism that John the Baptist did. John the Baptist was getting people ready to welcome the coming Messiah. But John the Baptist said... The Messiah, Jesus, would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that happen next week. The coming of the Spirit was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was part of the Messiah's arrival. And we see that um, in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And this is God speaking. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will, and, I, I, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will move the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. God the Father had promised that he would send God the Spirit. And not many days from now did they have to wait. Ten days to be exact. Waiting may have been hard for them though. Waiting is often hard for us. But remember that oftentimes at the end of waiting comes great blessing. And this will um, certainly be the truth for the disciples. We'll see that next week as well. So let's go on to verse 6, and we're going to see the disciples ask Jesus a question here. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the disciples ask a question, Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And this really isn't that far-fetched in my mind for them to ask that. Jesus had been talking about the kingdom of God. And uh, for the disciples, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the uh, promised kingdom were closely associated. And so they want to know, is this going to happen now? And the kingdom they're talking about is that earthly kingdom where Jesus literally reigns on earth. We call it the millennial kingdom. And it's going to be a great time. It's going to come in the future. The disciples wanted to know because it had a real meaning for them. If that was going to start now, they would be freed from Roman rule. So they asked Jesus. But Jesus tells them, it's not for you to know the time. It's the Father's authority. That's um, who knows about this. Now, in the uh, Gospels, we saw that they had also asked Jesus a question similar to that, and Jesus answered in uh, one place, is in Mark, I'm not going to read it, but he told them once again, only the Father knows the time. Only the Father. Sometimes we ask questions of God that are when questions and why questions. And Jesus answers us with, walk with me. Follow and obey me. Walk with me. Let's see what Jesus tells the disciples here in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, ladies, this verse 8 is the key verse of the book of Acts. Maybe you want to underline it or put a star by it. But if you know this verse, then you will understand all of the book of Acts and be able to um, think about what it is about. This is the key verse.
Jesus says, you can't know the times, but here is what you can know. The Holy Spirit is coming, and he, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses, that means you will tell the truth about me. The Holy Spirit is God. God is three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's the triune God. Before this, the Holy Spirit had empowered specific individuals to do specific tasks. We saw that in the New Testament with John the Baptist. We see it in the Old Testament with the prophets and with kings. King David had the Holy Spirit. We also saw in the case of King Saul who had the Holy Spirit, when he disobeyed and turned away from God, the Holy Spirit was removed. So the Holy Spirit could come and go. Now, this would be different. The Holy Spirit would indwell them, and he would always be with them. The Holy Spirit wasn't going to come and go. He was going to always be with them. And the Holy Spirit would give them power. And these ordinary men would be able to do extraordinary things. Have you ever wondered about that? What was it that changed these disciples who were a little bit clueless and kind of scared in the Gospels into these powerful preachers of um, the story of Jesus in the book of Acts? We're going to see that and remember it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Once again, this is uh, the uh, second major emphasis of Dr. Luke. The indispensable presence of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit wasn't a luxury. The Holy Spirit was an absolute necessity. And what did Jesus want them to do? He wanted them to be his witnesses. A witness gives testimony based on what the witness knows, what he has seen. Um, it's not rumor. It's what he or she has experienced, seen, heard, firsthand. Jesus is saying, tell people the truth about me. And where? Where? Start here in Jerusalem. Then spread out to Judea and Samaria, ever-widening circles. It's like a stone thrown into a lake, and the circles go out and out from it. Um, we have a map uh, we're going to put up. You also had the same map on your table. You might want to keep that with you as we study the book of Luke. It will, I mean, Acts. It will come in handy. And so you see... Um, on this map in the lower corner, down here is Jerusalem. All right. Okay, so Jerusalem is in the um, center down in that lower right-hand corner. And then it's going to spread out to Judea, the area around it, and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. And we have this circle going clear to Rome because the book of um, Acts ends in Rome. And to these people, that probably seemed like the end of the earth. But we know today that the witnessing continues throughout the earth. I also want to say that in um, this verse 1-8, we see kind of an outline of the um, book of Acts. And so I'm going to tell you that in just a second. But first, let me remind you that Jerusalem was a hostile place. So it could be that the di disciples were looking at Jesus and saying, start in Jerusalem, here, where the religious leaders hate us, where the Roman government just crucified you 40 days ago. You want us to tell the story here? And then you want us to go to Samaria? 
Do y'all remember Samaria? The Jews did not like the Samaritans. There was great prejudice, even hatred towards them. They were considered the half-breeds. They were um, the product of the Assyrian captivity, where they were taken into captivity, um, intermarried, and they began to worship some of the Assyrian gods. So they worshipped the one true and living God, along with other gods, and they were considered half-breeds or mixed. They were to be avoided. And Jesus says, after Judea, go to Samaria. It's the next place out. Go to Samaria. I want to tell you about this book of Acts. Um, the first seven chapters take place in Jerusalem. So next week, after the Holy Spirit comes, the witnessing begins here in Jerusalem. So you might want to write there somewhere, 1 through 7, Jerusalem. And then we have chapters 8 through 12 that take place in Judea and then Samaria. And then... Chapters 13 through 28, um, they, this is to the end of the earth. This is Paul's missionary journeys along with some others, and they go out and uh, clear and to Rome, and that's where the book of Acts ends. So you have that little um, outline that you can kind of keep in your mind and always know what the book of Acts is about. Witness is a key word in Acts, and the witnessing is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is seen in every chapter in the book of Acts. Some even like to say that it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. But it is the Holy Spirit working through ordinary men and women. And we will see and learn about many people in the book of Acts. Not only Peter and Paul, two main characters, but we're also going to see John and James and Stephen and Philip and Barnabas and Timothy and John, Mark, and Lydia, and many others, many people. Verse 8 is the last words of Jesus, and we see how important this instruction is. And then in verse 9, we're going to see the ascension. So let's go on and read there. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus ascends into heaven. He's lifted up, hidden by a cloud. Two men, these are angelic beings, angels or messengers from God. And they remind the disciples that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to the same place in the same way that he left. This is the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is coming back. The ascension of Jesus is important for several reasons. First, it marks the end of his earthly ministry. Um, now he reigns in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Secondly, Jesus' leaving is the prelude to the Holy Spirit coming. Jesus needed to leave for the Holy Spirit to come. So it marks the end of Jesus' story on earth, but it's the beginning of the story of the church. Church and the, Jesus has lordship over the church. And then third, it is a pledge that Jesus will return. Jesus is coming back. That gave the disciples hope. This ascension and what the angels told them gave them hope. It gave them hope and it gave them purpose. And it was their foundation as they went out to witness to others. And it's what gives us hope today. 
We can know Jesus is coming back. Maybe while I'm alive, or maybe it'll be after I go uh, to be with him in glory. But Jesus is coming back, and we too must be his witnesses. This hope is not wishful thinking, but is a firm expectation of the future. So this ends Dr. Luke's um, introduction, this little recap for Theophilus. And now we're going to see the new information beginning in verse 12. So let's go on and read that. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath Sabbath day's journey away. So the Mount of Olives, and I have a picture of that, is about a half mile to three quarters of a mile outside of Jerusalem. And you see there the olive trees on the Mount of Olives, and in the distance you can see Jerusalem, the little dome of the rock there. So this is just a picture. Um, I thought it was interesting to see where this was happening and where Jesus ascended. And we see that um, they return to Jerusalem. They're obeying God. That was the first thing. Stay in Jerusalem. And then let's see what they do. Verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Uh, Once again, Dr. Luke wants to put an emphasis on the importance of the apostles, those disciples. And so he has them listed here by name. They are important. They have authority. And then it's also interesting to see that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there and the brothers of Jesus. Now, in the Gospels, we know that they did not believe in Jesus. They didn't accept him. So sometime after the resurrection in those 40 days, the brothers of Jesus, too, now have come to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. He is their Savior as well. And what are they doing? They're praying. They're praying with devotion and in one accord. I think the application for us is pretty clear. Um, When we wait... Prayer is a good thing to be doing, praying while we wait. They are waiting for the Holy Spirit, like Jesus had told them, and they pray while they wait. We see the apostles praying, and we also see them seeking God. And next, we're going to see them uh, with their first real organizational business meeting. So they're praying, and they're getting organized. Let's go on and look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So that upper room was pretty large. 120 people were there. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And then in uh, verse 20, it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, and he has two verses there from the book of Psalms. And that uh, Psalm 69 is the first one, and Psalm 109, which says, Let another take his office. And so what's happening here? Peter is saying um, he's been praying. He has uh, an understanding of the scripture. And from the scripture, he says, we must replace Judas. Now, let me tell you, Judas, remind you about Judas' 
Iscariot. He was one of the 12 disciples. He's the one that betrayed Jesus by leading the Jewish leaders to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that uh, led to his arrest and to his crucifixion. And Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver for this betrayal. Now, we don't know the um, motive or what, why Judas really betrayed Jesus, but we do know from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 27, that when Judas finds out that Jesus is to be condemned, he is filled with remorse. This was not what he wanted to happen. And so he goes to the temple and he says to the priest, I have betrayed innocent blood. And they say, what is that to us? And he throws the 30 pieces of silver at him, and he goes out, and he hangs himself. So the priests, it goes on to tell us in Matthew, they take the 30 pieces of silver, and because they can't use it in their treasury, they go out and buy a field, and it will be for strangers to be buried. Um, And so that gives us a little insight there to this additional information that Luke has given us, I mean, Dr. Luke has given us in the parentheses. It says, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Now, Judas didn't actually um, buy that field, but it was bought with the money that he had received from betraying Jesus. And it goes on to say then that um, he fell headlong and burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Okay, that's graphic. And um, that's a little prelude to some of the stuff we're going to see in Acts. It's exciting. There's lots of details. And it can be a little, a little graphic. And then it says, And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. And that's what we had just said. So this doesn't really contradict Matthew, because probably Judas went out and hanged himself over a cliff. Maybe the branch broke. Maybe the rope broke. Maybe the knot slipped. But Judas Judas falls and his body breaks on the rocks below. So that's just a little reminder of who Judas was. But the important thing here, um, he had a choice in what he did. Jesus um, predicts that Judas will do this. But Judas had a choice to betray Jesus. And now Peter is saying we must replace him. So let's look at what the qualifications are to be for that man that replaces Judas, that becomes one of the twelve. Verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Um, So the qualification you see here, it has to be somebody that's been with um, Jesus this whole time, from being baptized by John the Baptist until his time of ascension. And the interesting thing for me in that is I forget that there was this group of men and women following around with Jesus over his whole ministry. You know, I know the disciples, but I forget there were these other men and women. Um, They were with Jesus. They saw Uh, Jesus' miracles. They heard what he taught. Now, there were times when Jesus took the disciples alone to be with them. But many times, these other people would know and see and be a part of Jesus' life. So from these, and then I love it here, he says, to be a witness to his resurrection. Once again, Dr. Luke is pointing out, this is a main part of their message. Jesus is resurrected. He is alive. He is risen. And so... That, uh, that's what this person will be a witness to this 
um, as well as they talk to other people. So they put two names forward. 23 says Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice. I think he had too many names. And Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So let me tell you how lots work. They would write a name on a stone. One said Matthias, and one said Justice Joseph Barsabas on another stone. And they put it in a can of stones, and they'd shake it up. And when a stone fell out with the name on it, that was the one chosen. And it happened to be Matthias. He was chosen to be the 12th. And interestingly enough, this is the last time we're going to see a decision made by casting lots. I think because they're going to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit from now on. So we close out chapter 1 with the 12 apostles and the other followers waiting expectantly, excited, nervous, I don't know, maybe scared, contemplating, reflective. I'm not sure of the emotions, but what I am sure of is that next week's story is amazing and thrilling, and you do not want to miss it. I can hardly wait for it. Please give me four more minutes real quickly. I want to close up by taking a few minutes to talk about why study Acts. Why are we going to study Acts? You know, what's the purpose of that? Anytime we study the scripture in Women in the Word, it's not just for head knowledge, but it is for heart change. We study to know God better, to be drawn to him in love and devotion, to have our relationship with Jesus deepened so that we walk ever closer with him, learning about the things that Jesus cares about so that we care about those things as well. I want that to happen in this study this semester. But Why Acts? And I have three reasons why we're going to study Acts. First is to know the history of our Christian faith. Acts tells us through many, many exciting, heart-stopping, powerful and astounding stories how the good news of Jesus Christ spread in Jerusalem, into Judea and Samaria, and throughout the end of the earth. And along the way, more and more women and children believe in Jesus and their lives are changed. And they tell others who tell others who tell even more. And the church grows and it spreads. This is our history. This is our history. And I want to know it. And the cool part, ladies, it is not a boring history lesson. Quite the opposite. This um, story, this history story that we're going to read has astonishing miracles, powerful preaching, courtroom drama, shipwrecks, narrow escapes in baskets, down the walls. There's adventure, there's mystery, there's humor, and there's stories that are going to make our hearts sad. Acts is inspiring, and it's sobering, and it's thrilling all at the same time. And you know the best part? It's all true. It's all true what we're going to read in Acts. In Acts, we're going to read when the believers in Jesus are first called Christians. Acts tells us how the Christian church, and the church means the body of believers, the universal body of believers, how the church is founded, how it begins, how the early church solves problems. As we learn this, we are going to have a better perspective of the body of believers throughout the world today. And we're also going to understand how our own individual church, Christ Chapel, is organized. 
much of our um, foundational principles and doctrine comes from the book of Acts. It's going to help us understand our own church, Christ Chapel. And we're going to see how the church grew and expanded through great persecution. And we can learn much about how we can handle persecution or, or just pushback for our faith in Christ today. Acts is a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, we see that it was God's plan of salvation from the very beginning of time. For, uh, that it would go to the Jews and Gentiles, both. We're going to see in um, Acts just how we fit into this plan. And as we see God's plan unfold, our faith is increased. It's deepened. And we know what to do. We see our purpose, where we fit into this plan. The second thing is to understand the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit the minute that we believe in Jesus. The minute that we put our trust in him, we put our faith in him, we are sealed forever with the Holy Spirit. And that is a big deal. And sometimes I I forget about that. I I don't think about it. But when we study Acts, we are going to see how that happened. And we're going to be reminded of who the Holy Spirit is and the power that he brings to our lives. And every week... As we talk about the Holy Spirit, that excitement is going to grow within us. And the third reason, last reason we're going to study Acts is so that each one of us can learn or be motivated to act as a witness to the love of Jesus in our own individual lives. What do you know to be true about Jesus? What have I experienced as a believer in Jesus? And how do we act that out? How do we tell others The truth about Jesus. Ladies, we're not to be observers. We are to be participators in God's plan. It's God living in us. God acting in us. We are to be witnesses of the love and the truth of Jesus as his story continues. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. Father, we're so grateful for the Holy Spirit. We're grateful for the work of Christ on the cross. We're grateful for all that you have done in our lives. Father, thank you for this book of Acts where we can see how our Christian faith started and grew and expanded. Father, I pray that as we study that you will touch our hearts, that you will give us insights, that the Holy Spirit will work through us in a powerful way to be witnesses for the love of Jesus, because that's what we want, Lord. Thank you for these women. Bless them. Bring us back next week. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.